Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking Raging Cajun basketball with King of the Mid-Range Jump Shot, Mike Gaybear. How are you this morning, Mike? I'm doing great, Craig. Enjoying this nice weather. It, Ready for basketball. Oh, I know. It, it, it's kind of getting you in that mode, isn't it? I mean, Yes, it sure is. Cooler the cool, weather. The cooler weather and, and you start with the uh, events uh, that are going on around, around the country and and I know that's the first thing that we want to talk about is uh, this past week, they had the uh, Sunbelt Conference Media Days and uh, the Cajuns hosted a uh, basketball night for the RCAF on Wednesday night. What were your thoughts on both events there? Well, I didn't get a chance to watch the Media Day presentations, but Dr. Maggard addressed it in the RCAF function. And he talked about how important that event like that is to actually elevate the sport of basketball, both men and women. Uh, in New Orleans at the media days. Uh, so you're pleased to see that come back. Uh, unfortunately, Coach Marlin and Jordan Brown were the last guys to go. They barely got to the event in time. They wore the same suits to the event in New Orleans and <laughs> drove the car all the way back, barely got to the RCAF tip-off function, which was Wednesday evening at the warehouse here in Lafayette. I was fortunate enough to attend. Uh, way that function goes is basically the coaches of both programs, men and women, have an opportunity to introduce their assistant coaches and the players to the public, the RCF donors. And each player will get up there and tell them a little bit about themselves. So you get to understand that these guys are and ladies are just really people just like us. Uh, so it's pleased to see that. Dr. Maggard made a big point and when he introduced both the, Dr. Uh, Coach Bob and Coach Gary of how well Brandy and Jordan, Randy Williams were the women and Jordan Brown were the player representatives. Um, how well they represented the uh, university, the program with their comments. Coach Marlin made a point. I didn't coach Jordan, Jordan what he had to say. He said the right things, made a team first. So I was very pleased to uh, attend that. And if you can get a chance in the future, I hope you other people who may be listening do so as well. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's one of those things. I did get to see the media days, but unfortunately, uh, when the Cajuns got on, there was technical different difficulties for about 90 seconds there. And I missed part of what Jordan spoke about, but I thought Jordan did an excellent job as well of representing not only coach Marlin, the basketball program, but the university. So it was fun to watch him uh, a little bit mature uh, going, going from a little bit shyer, I guess, in, in last year to go yeah. where he is now. Jordan is not necessarily the most vocal of the players on the team. He's, I guess, he's more cerebral in his comments than as emotional as some other players might be. And sometimes I'd like to see him on the court actually be a little bit more emotional. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I agree with you. I think he, uh, I think he's a very unselfish player. And I, there are times I, I wish he was more vocal and a little bit more selfish and take that ball to the rim and just finish. So yeah. before we leave that, there was a neat um, picture I saw. I think it was on Twitter where Coach Bobby Pascal uh, was in the middle of the picture, and Jordan Brown was on one side, and and um, Kobe, Kobe Julian was on the other side. Yeah, because Coach Pascal coached both their dads. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. I'll add this uh, in the conversations that occurred later after the official event was over Wednesday night. There were some people uh, talking to some UL administrators and say, "We need to make a push to get Bobby Pascal in our Hall of Fame. That's very well deserved." Well, I was going to make that comment, and I'm glad you did. I think uh, it, it was my uh, formal years here at the beginning of school that Coach Pascal was here. The team went to the uh, 
uh, NIT Final Four in uh, in New York City. So it was a great time to be a Cajun then and to, to be able to watch those guys play. Fun times. Yeah, so, great memories that he created. He definitely deserves to be a Hall of Fame. Hope that happens one day. Not not today, but it just brought up something. Uh, at, at another time, we're going to have to talk about some of our f- favorite Cajun players of the past and who you think were was uh, maybe the all-time best all-around player there. I've got my thoughts on it, but you go back a little further, so they're probably a little different. But not today. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we'll give our, we'll give our listeners something uh, – to look forward to in the, in, in the future, but there are a lot of changes going on this off season. You, uh, what about the coaching staff? What about the, uh, the, the, the sharing of the court for practice and all of those good things? What have you heard or what have you seen with that? Okay. Let's back up to, uh, I guess, late spring, which, uh, uh, former lead assistant Brock Morris had a tremendous financial opportunity came up to him that he had to take, went over to Ole Miss, wish him well there. Also, Ryan Welty, who was our uh, video assistant, had an opportunity to become a real coach. He's on the Como High School basketball coaching staff now. So we've had to make some replacements in that regard. Uh, Donovan Cates is the coach to replace uh, Coach Morris. Comes to us from the University of Alabama. Uh, also had a nice career in college. I believe he played at uh, Manhattan, where he helped the, um, was it the Jaspers? Is that what Manhattan is? Something like that get to the NCAA tournament. And actually, I think they had pulled an upset when he was there. Uh, Coach Nate Oates is one of the best known and most respected coaches in the SEC at Alabama. And he was uh, Nate's right-hand man as uh, basically his director of scouting last year before he comes comes to us. I liked it because I saw, I know there's two guys in New Orleans Pelicans who played in that team, uh, Kyra Lewis and um, Herb Jones, who's got a nickname of not on Herb. So maybe some of that defensive prowess will come to us. Uh, also, Coach Neil Harden has been with Coach Bob many years. Is now has a new role. He's director of scouting. People don't realize this, but you know each assistant coach generally has to have the responsibility scout and forecast what a team's going to do an upcoming opponent. So if you designate one coach to look at that completely, which I think is going to be what uh, Coach Harden's going to do, as well as maybe scout some potential recruits, that'll allow the other assistants to have more on-time uh, help on the staff with, with coach Bob, you know, when practice occurs, coach Marlon doesn't run everything. You know, he may be more over like a general manager. Each of the assistant coaches may have a different thing. there occur that one might be half court offense. One might be, okay, I'm working with the big men today. One with the guards, of course, they'll still be involved in scouting, but uh, so that's a change. Okay. With coach Harden moving to the role of director of scouting, an opportunity to bring in another coach uh, uh, came about and that's Casey Perrin. Casey comes to us after several years with Coach um, Chris Beard at Texas Tech and at Texas. Um, he was at Texas Tech uh, when it went over to, uh, I guess he was director of operations last year. Casey also played college basketball, I believe, at Campbell in the Big South. If you look at him, you think he's just another guy you see here in Lafayette at Red Laurels with his ball head and uh, just like a regular gym rat. Um, you know, be out there, you know, spinning up 100 shots a day. So uh, you'll see him on the bench. And the guy who's replaced uh, Ryan as um, video coordinator is a guy named uh, Cole Wakefield, uh, who's a um, graduate assistant. Now, I don't know much about Cole since he just got here, but I'm sure he'll do a good job. Absolutely. I know uh, Coach Marlin for a while now, actually a couple years, has uh, tried to get uh, Casey Perrin over to the Cajuns and for various reasons uh, was un- unable to, unable to. So I know uh, Coach Marlin has a lot of respect for him. 
You know, uh, let's go back. Let, let me ask something about that. Coach Marlon has a lot of respect for Chris Beard. Remember yes. the year he was at Little Rock? One year in, in the Sun Belt, he dominated the league, got his team to the tournament, pulled an upset, and had success at Texas Tech and now at Texas. So uh, Oliver Houston also worked for Coach Beard at Texas Tech. And Oliver Houston is uh, in his second year as basketball strength coach. He's also the volleyball strength coach. Interesting that he has to support those both those programs. That is very interesting. Seems like that would be a different skill set, but what do I know? Yeah, I can't comment on it either. Uh, let's let's go back to a little bit what you talked about in practice in the scouting report because I find that the most fascinating part of when I was able to go or when I I still go to practice every every now and then and and watching the coaches interact with the players and everything and watching the scouting report because if you if you're able to go to practice and you'll be able to see that and you watch their scouting report and something doesn't happen on the court, you know, I'm screaming in my head, they went over that in practice yesterday. You know, he told you exactly what was going to happen on that pick and roll or that, you know, that jump shot. And uh, I, I just find that amazing how, I guess, how good these coaches are on scouting. Yes, it's a lot of film work. You don't really need to go to actual actual games anymore because of uh, every game's on TV in some kind of fashion. And, you know, we've got some good video equipment. Let me add to that. Um, when I was at practice the other day, I saw a new video board that they actually have in the Mockley Indoor Facility where they can actually stop and go over something that happened in practice minutes before and review it. So it's instantaneous film. I don't know who it is, but one of the Rebounded Club meeting, Rebounded Club members actually donated that uh, piece of equipment. So uh, they also use it for like motivational techniques. They'll find things on YouTube. So here's our message of the day and things like that. So I don't know who did that, but uh, they think it's a good, good feature. That that sounds awesome because if you can get uh, uh, instant feedback, I think in, in you know because the players sometimes going, uh, you know, I guess when I played uh, back in 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 high school, you know, thinking ah that's not what I did, coach. And then but if you can you can show them on a video that yeah this is what you did, you know, it it, it gives you instant feedback. I think right. that can only be helpful. They don't do that you know, every second because yeah. you want to disrupt, can't disrupt practice, but you know, during the timeouts, they'll use it. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's talk about the, uh, the practice facilities. We just, since I just mentioned, if you don't mind, this yeah. is the time for that. Okay. Well, a lot of people realize, may have heard that the okay long gym has been converted into a volleyball only facility, which is great for coach gray and, and his team in the past coach brought her team rather coach broadhead practiced at uh, okay long gym. And there was no, conflict with time for the men and women you know each had their court for right now the men and women have to share the makla indoor practice facility because the cajun dome as far as i know hasn't had had the basketball floor set as of yet with all the concerts that they have been occurring because of the delay with the pandemic so uh when coach morris was here he actually wanted the men to practice in the mornings and he could never get coach bob to do it but now he was forced to do it where the men actually had their choice. They practice from about 8.30 to 11, Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, whatever the number of days. You have to have so many days off per week. Yeah. Uh, and they're done by, they go to class from 12 to 3. Women practice for basically 11.30 to 2.30. And that allows, and what you'll see is both teams will actually have guys and gals come up, you know, after practice and class is over and put up their uh, jump shots on their own. So, so far it's working out well. When the season starts, the plan is for the men and women to use the in the facility if they're going to be on the road and the team that's going to be at home 
to use the Cajun Dome. At times, there may be doubleheader. To, actually, the first game of the season against Centenary, uh, the women have a doubleheader against Houston the same day, but those will be rare. So we'll see. They don't know how it's going to work out when the season begins, but that's the general plan. The concern would be, okay, let's make sure the Cajun Dome floor is down all the time. That doesn't always occur. So we'll have to make sure that. Hopefully, they don't have kids going over to Bougeois to practice. Yeah, I like the fact that uh, the more that we can get in the Cajun Dome, I think it is a different uh, uh, shooting backdrop and everything, and it can change. So the more that we can practice in there, the better, I think, for both teams. Yeah, that'll be happening soon. Okay. Well, let's go back a little bit to this summer and talk about the the preseason workouts, the trip to Puerto Rico, and uh, what the Cajuns uh, did this summer. Okay. Well, if you go back to uh, the summertime, the NCAA allows you to have four hours a week with your team in whole during the summertime. So those eight weeks of summer, same thing as football, is having practice at the same time without the coaches. Here, you coaches can be with the team. And sometimes you can get more actually done in the summer. But so what they do is Monday through Thursday, they'll practice one hour a week. So from those eight weeks, from first week in June, the last week in July, and it'll be a lot of conditioning. Uh, you know, uh, pure freshmen are allowed to attend those. So we brought in, um, we, I think we, we have three pure freshmen on the team. Two of them started at the beginning. And we'll talk about the players later. So that's an advantage. You know, when they're going to summer school, uh, they're taking one or two classes. They're meeting their teammates, doing the things in the community. So that occurred all the way to the end of July. I guess about that time is when we found out about the Puerto Rico trip. Uh, the NCAA allows you, I think it's once every four, every five years. I think it's you know. five, but it, it could be four. Well, we went to Cuba, what, before the 18 season in 17. And that uh, the team felt that that helped them bond, had one of the better years in recent memory. So hopefully that occurs again. Uh, so well, so in early August, I think they left on the 11th or something like that. Ten straight practices were allowed that you don't normally get if you're not going on one of these international trips. And a lot of people in basketball feel those 10 days are actually better uh, for you than the actual games. In the, in the, because, you know, you don't, you don't have to rest- – do the one hour a week like you do in the regular summer. You can do two to three hour practice because you're preparing for games just like you do in October, November, December, January. So, and then we brought in a new player then who had just signed for us. Uh, and we'll talk about the individual players later, but he got the opportunity to participate in those 10 games, in those 10 days of practice. And those were pretty intense. Then we go to Puerto Rico, play three games in three days. There were two other teams there. All three American teams went undefeated. Uh, all the games are very similar except one of ours. We played a very close game. I forget who the opponent was the first night. Made some big shots late to win the game by four points or so. Second night, we actually, or, you know, it was a close game, but we pulled away a little closer. And it wasn't a comfortable win, but you knew we were going to win it by two minutes to go. Third game, we made 10 three-pointers in the second half and pulled away. I think we won by 22 in that third game, and there was no other team who went. Louisiana Tech was one of them. Another minor conference team, with I forgot who it was, also went to Puerto Rico. You may remember who it was. I don't remember, but all three teams went undefeated, but we had the most impressive win in game three with all those three pointers falling. So hopefully that'll continue this season. And all right. So then um, they only have about a week off then and then school starts. And then you uh, have individual workouts with the players. Real practice started at the end of September. The old timers remember, practice used to start on October 15th. Well, 
now the, that's when the season started, basically Thanksgiving week. Remember the great Alaskan shootout in the 80s? So that great team we talked about before. That was Thanksgiving uh, uh, weekend. Well, now the season starts the second Tuesday of November. So you're allowed to start actual practice basically the last week of September. And then there's also more off days allowed now than back then. You used to be able to practice seven days a week. Now you have to have an off, off open day during the week. So uh, that's what's occurred in, in the off season. Uh, I, I think the other, the other the, the practice started slowing, but there's, I think scrimmages just started recently. Oh, let me, can I move on to sure. what's playing on stuff in this? Um, in the next few days, there will be two secret scrimmages held. And when I, basically, they're exhibition games where you're not allowed to publicize them unless there's charity involved. And in Alabama last year, we were able to publicize it because of charity. People can get in trouble if they let you know what happened in those. It's supposed to be really secret. <laughs> and um, But the NSA allows you to do two of those, or you can have two exhibition games with the public, or you can have one of each. We chose to have two secret scrimmages this year and have done so in recent past because we think that better prepares us for the season playing actual Division One competition. One of those um, opponents will be a area Southland conference team. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to supposed to say this, but I'll tell you now, as I just show it on social media, since some people at LSU on their message board just dropped it, LSU is going to be one of them in the next few days. Pretty sure the Southland team will be here and we'll be going to Baton Rouge. Uh, and I, like I said, I wasn't going to say that, but since it's already public on the LSU board, I think I could say it here. Good to see that relationship maybe with LSU starting to uh, be repaired. Yeah, I did see that on Twitter as well. So uh, with the LSU, I don't know uh, specifically on the Southland team, which uh, even if I did, we would like said we wouldn't mention it now because once it gets out, we can have that conversation. But no, it's a great opportunity, I think, for for all the clubs to get a little bit playing time in. Very similar to what the the teams, the baseball teams, do in the fall with uh, LSU coming to town and the Cajuns heading to Tulane. We're able to play some games there that don't count towards our schedule, but get playing time opportunity for maybe players that wouldn't get that opportunity and the coaches to see them in game action. So Right, right. Exactly. And there's, it's better than the exhibition game from that standpoint. Plus, they also can pretty much coach on the floor. They make it as much of a game as possible. But I know last year, uh, somehow the word got out that we played Nichols in one of those and, you know, and people were up wondering, well, how, why did Nichols win that? Well, it turns out you, you, they don't let people foul out in those exhibition games. And one of Nichols' best players would have fouled out in the first half. And so who knows if, you know, if that had a factor in the outcome. But, you know, it's, it's, the rules are a little different, though. The coaches could use it for because it's secret. Yeah. You know, when we went to Alabama, it was a real game, of course. So yeah. I don't know how these two are going to go. Uh, but though those will both occur in the next few days. Some people find out what happens. Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I may be able to speak at it in generalities in the future, but you're really not supposed to speak out of specifics because it's against the insane rules. Yeah, I think the other thing that that people don't understand, the, like you had mentioned, the coaches are on the floor. They're able to, lack of a better turn, call a timeout right then for a teachable moment or a coaching moment within the gameplay as opposed to, you know, waiting later on and telling the player. So it, it, it's it's a different type of basketball, definitely. So I, I wouldn't – I wouldn't uh, – take too much of what happens in the in the score of the game itself so yeah, good or bad yes so, yeah, so th that'll be happening soon and then we'll be ready to go into the regular season on november 7th and and uh going back to what i said earlier about the season starting earlier now the season starts the second tuesday in november 
second Tuesday in November, November 8 happens to be election day. Uh, I think a few years ago, you may know more about this. There's some NCAA rules about playing on election day. I, I don't know if it's an NCA rule necessarily. I know, uh, I believe the SEC was the first conference to do it, to say, okay, as a conference, we're not going to practice. We're going to allow our student athletes to go home to vote if they so choose to. So, and I think the Sunbelt followed the ACC follow on. I, and it could be an NCA rule now, but I think that was conference by conference that decided that. And then once that happened, the NCA stepped in and said, okay, we're going to move the start of basketball up uh, one day so that it does not affect that, uh, that the, the, the young men and women voting. So, yeah. Yeah. If you want to go home, if you live in New Orleans, for example, you want to go back, you can do that that day. And so we'll start the season on November 7th. So Monday night against Centenary. Okay. Uh, um, you know, one, one thing, uh, which I, I, we didn't talk, we talked about a little bit, uh, last week, but you know, the, the trip to Puerto Rico was actually pushed back a week because of Greg Williams, uh, was doing a basketball camp, which, which had, was in relationship to NIL. So, because he was able to raise, make money, uh, by his name and, and hosting a basketball camp. So I believe it was Greg Williams that, uh, it, it, I'm it pretty was, sure you're right. I recall that now. Yeah. So, I mean, um, let's talk a little bit about NIL in, in, in generalities. Uh, I know we talked about a little bit, there's, there's some things going on with, uh, with, uh, Jordan Brown. Uh, there's some things going on with some other players. Uh, Joe Charles is actually giving back to his basketball program, uh, kind of a, a high school NIL deal. I think it's good for the players. I mean, and people don't understand, people have to understand that these guys aren't getting, uh, especially at UL aren't getting hundreds and thousands of dollars, whether, whether it's football, basketball, whatever the sport is, you know, it, it, it could be as something as simple as uh, lunch at your local restaurant once a month, you know? Yeah. Our players are not getting the million dollar deals. Like you hear about at A&M. There's actually a lady named Jackie Russo who's working a lot of football, but all the athletes who's actually educates the athletes on what business opportunities are out there for you. And, uh, they can use that in their true business world when they get graduate. So kudos to Jackie Jordan probably, uh, has had more help because he's the, probably the best known player on the team. But some of the things he's done, Jordan has done actually, are do work for charity, uh, for a friend of mine, actually, I know is, uh, an ALS issue. Jordan has actually done work for him and actually, uh, got some NIL that way. There's other charity things, you know, there's another guy who's got um, some boys, girls club, uh, it's one of his charities. So he's selling that at least go help those programs out and that can help you out that way. In the Joe Charles situation, he actually, I guess, picks a player at Karen Crow High School, which is his alumnus, and he actually pays for their basketball uniform, their shoes, etc. as like, uh, okay, if, if you have trouble, you know, with your uniform and like that, he picks yep. a player, like, so like a, it's a high school scholarship in effect. Yeah. He's paying it forward, essentially. Yeah, and uh, hopefully he'll do well. When we get into the individual players, we'll talk more about Joe. Okay. You know, Jackie, uh, just a shout-out to uh, Russo, uh, Jackie, and, and her group over there. They actually have a a, a, a binder that has every athlete uh, that is at UL, and it gives you your background information about them and everything. Uh, it gives them how many followers they have on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter and Facebook, 
and all those types of things. So if you're a business that's looking for somebody, uh, social media that, that, that you want to help out again, it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. It doesn't even have to be hundreds of dollars. Every little bit helps. And Jackie can, can, can facilitate everything for you. Uh, it's very easy. It's a very, uh, uh, it's a great process. And we do, like you said, appreciate all the hard work that she's putting into. Yeah. Especially since it helps them prepare for the real world when they're done playing whatever sport you're in. Well, you know, one last thing on that and on, on my end on that, uh, the one thing that I found very impressive, Jackie spoke to the RCF board uh, back in August, and she said the number one question that the student athletes had about NIL is, was taxes. What's tax? What's not? How do I pay taxes and all those types of things? So it is, to your point, real world associated that comes along with uh, Jackie's program. So yeah. Yeah, kudos to her again. And uh, she goes to all the quarterback club meetings, so people who follow football may meet her there. When the rebounders meetings begin, I hope she shows up to those. And she's also a member of the Diamond Club and been a great supporter, her and her family, for years. So thank you to Jackie Russo and her, her business to helping our student-athletes. Mike, let's take a quick break, then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more. We'll get into individual players and things like that. And uh, – Hopefully anything else you want to talk about. So All right. Yeah, just sounds good. I'll, Give me a minute here. All right. You've been listening to We're Talking with Craig Malasa and Mike A. Bear. Welcome back into We're Talking. We're talking with we're talking basketball with Mike Abair. Uh, Mike, I know you have some thoughts, a couple more thoughts on the trip to Puerto Rico. What, what, what? Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when I mentioned the how the three games went earlier, I forgot to say one thing that I was encouraged by, and that was the defense. Defense and rebounding was strong all three games. Um, just as last year, you know, at times the offense was inconsistent, but when the three started dropping, uh, you know, we were able to pull away. But the defense is something you have to have every night. Even the shots are not falling, and you get some second shots. Uh, you got a chance to win every game, regardless of the opponent. But the other thing that happened in Puerto Rico, and they actually made a big point about this on the, the banquet Thursday night, was I was able to have the team bond. Uh, they had a lot of off-the-court activities they did. They did some zip lining. I actually saw some video of that, and pretty interesting to see those guys that big getting on those, those zip lines. Not something I've ever done. My daughters have. I don't know if I ever want to. So the, the bombing showed up and they made a big point of pointing that out. The Greg Williams Jr. and Jalen Dalcourt were the two seniors from Lafayette who actually spoke the most at the banquet the other night. And they all of them talked about how much uh, the team came together and how much they like each other. Now, I want to see that continue when the team faces some adversity to this season. And adversity always happens. Will that bonding stay together? Or hopefully, the, if it does, then you'll have success. You know, since we're talking about Puerto Rico, most people don't realize that those are not those teams that we played are not necessarily college stage guys. Some of them could be in their thirties and everything. And uh, just, just a different, and also international ball is a different brand of, of basketball than it is in the NCA. The rules are different. There's no goaltending, for example. Yeah. The, uh, 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 there's no one in one. It's more like the, uh, the women do this now, but more like the, when you get five fouls, per quarter, then you shoot two free throws on every foul. 
prior to that, you only shoot free throws on shooting fouls. And the lane is different, you know, the three seconds, the lane. Away. So the rules are different. I even think the uh, three-point line might be slightly different. It might be just a little further out. It's pretty close to the college rule, but it's uh, slightly different. So there are different rules, different uh, courts. Yeah, it's a good experience. I think the men actually moved theirs back, uh, the three-point line, to the international line. But I could be wrong there. You could be right. Or I'm not sure. But I know when the three-point line first came out, it was at the top of the uh, arc. Uh, the top of the circle, and that was shorter than the uh, international three-point line. That may be uh, one reason they dropped it. It used to be 19-9, which is yep. just past the top of the game. That was too close. Yep. Uh, and uh, and now I think it's 21 feet, 6 inches, and not quite the NBA. It's sort of in between, between the NBA. The high school rule might still be closer. Yep. But, uh, yeah. I'm not sure, but, I, but you, to your point about the quarters, uh, college basketball, men's college basketball, is the only one in the world now that plays two halves versus four quarters. Right. And I understand there's a move and I've asked our coaches about it without ever happening. They say it will change probably sooner than later, but maybe not this year, maybe not next, but it'll be the same as the women and international in the four quarters. It'll be four 10 minute quarters instead of two 20 minute halves. The one and one after seven fouls is going to go away. It'll be five fouls per quarter. High school basketball, uh, uh, I'm not sure what they do. Is it still one-on-one? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to a high school basketball I, I, game. I think it is still one-on-one, one, but I could be wrong. I have been to high school games recently when St. Thomas Moore played their semifinal game a couple of years ago in the Dome. I went, uh, enjoyed that, but I don't remember the exact rules. Yeah, I know when the women went to four quarters, I, I asked Coach Marlin about it, uh, playing four quarters versus two halves, and his question was, uh about the timeouts i said well they i said they take away a timeout from you or, or i said there's one less timeout within the flow of the game the the four minute tv timeouts or media timeouts now versus tv timeouts i guess but uh and he said he wasn't exactly happy about that but it did seem to sp speed up the game by about uh in most cases by about 10 minutes which is the game does occur well, i don't know why uh, maybe it's one on one less timeout. It's still the same 40 minutes on the court. Maybe it's less than one and once. Maybe you're not shooting the free throws on fouls five, six, and seven. And maybe that's going away. So, and uh, I bet coaches in some ways probably are okay with that because the one and one is one of the most pressure situations there is in basketball. Yep. And you got fouled, you, and you can end up with nothing. I'm still, I'm, I still hate that it goes to two shots, but that's just me. Yeah, it I goes think... to two, two shots on the 10 foul of the half. Yeah, I, I hate that. I, I, I'm one that thinks that free throw shooting is part of the game. If you can't make your free throws, then then get them off the court, put somebody else in. So, but hey, speaking of that, uh, free throw shooting is a drill that all the coaches go through, and what we do, and generally in hours, people I find interesting. We may have you know, in the indoor practice facility. I guess there's six courts, and they'll yep. have six guys, and like that, and you shoot one, and um, the goal is for all six to make the first one. You only shoot one. And the guy who misses watches his teammates run yep. if he does miss. So we do try to simulate game pressure uh, in practice. That doesn't always work. <laughs> you know, it's very free throw shooting is one of the most mental things there is. It's not, it's more mental than there is mechanical. Absolutely. Well, Mike, let's get into uh, some of the players and or the players and, and let's start out with the guards, your thoughts there. Okay, we'll start out with point guard, if you don't mind. Yep. Uh, last year, point guard was, I guess, inconsistency was way to describe the way the season went. They started the year with having Greg Williams Jr. trying to play that role. 
back it up last year. The thought was Cedric Russell was going to be the point guard. And of course, he transferred late and it was too late for them to recruit somebody else. And Greg can handle the ball okay, but to be frank, it, that experiment did not work. He played much better when he moved to other positions and they went to Frazier Wesley and, you know, and he had some injury issues, inconsistent issues. So hopefully this year is that they'll be a little more consistent because they've got two guys who are traditional point guards trying to man that role. One is returning Michael Thomas. People think I know about basketball. I'll tell you this. Michael Thomas is a guy who said, man, I don't know nearly as much as you all think. Because when he got here, I didn't think he deserved a scholarship <laughs> his freshman year. And uh, got slightly better. But, uh, you could see him progress all the way through last season. At the end of the season, he was actually our most effective point guard in our run to the finals in the NCAA tournament. You know, he's quick. His dribbling is fine. Um, you can actually make a shot now and then. Uh, so I would say he has the, probably the lead uh, candidate to be the starting point guard, but there's no guarantee. Uh, the other guy who's challenged for that role is Timus Folks. Um, he's a junior college player. I forget where he played junior college. Do you remember, Craig? Uh, not if not, well, I'll, I will look that up while you're discussing this. Well, I knew this. I think he was at least second team All-American. I will give kudos to Coach Brock Morris. He did work all the way to the end. He got us a uh, Timus. And uh, Timus is a big, strong point guard. Uh, some of you may remember Blaine Harmon. That he reminds me of him, but he's, Blaine was an off, off guard. Timus is one of the guys who wants to use his strength and bully ball and get into the lane and pass off that way. Um, I don't know which one will start. You'll probably see a thing where, okay, uh, whoever's on that night will probably play the most. I think Michael will start but at the beginning of the year, but the team will still show a play a lot. One might play 25 minutes, the other play 15, and which one it is each night could vary, depending who's on that night. I don't know who will be the uh, – if we get bowling foul trouble, there's an injury, I don't know who the uh, guy would be in. Uh, I don't think they'll go back to Greg. It might be with the off guards. Um, and there's also a freshman named Vinny Sagona. Pure freshman, who apparently is a great shooter. He can handle the ball a little bit. Uh, I don't know where he's going to fit in. So that's the point guards situation. Uh, I think it's going to be better than last year because they're not going to try to fit somebody who's not natural that position into that role. Yeah, Themis Fox is uh, is a redshirt sophomore from Winston Salem, North Carolina. Played at Dodge City Community College. So okay, okay, uh, okay. That reminds me. The reason he's a redshirt sophomore is his freshman year. He actually played at South Carolina State. Uh, don't call what conference they're in but he was on the all freshman team in that conference is that a swack school no it's maybe it might be miak similar to the uh, historical black university yep. but more on the atlantic coast okay but okay and uh so and um so he's got a year of division one experience that was the year of COVID, so that year doesn't count as far as eligibility so you, you can basically go play five years now so the reason he's a redshirt sophomore would be in third year of college because of the year he spent at South Carolina State was a COVID year. Okay. Okay. Uh, what about the the shooting guards? Who who's okay. gonna... uh, shooting oh. guards? Two two guards, two guys sort of uh, played in that role last year, and Greg played there somewhat too. But the two guys that are manning that role right now are Jalen Dalcourt and Kentrell Garnett. Jalen became a starter later in the year. Not necessarily Cantrell was doing anything bad, but Jalen's got uh, some leadership abilities. I talked about Jordan Brown maybe being a little quiet. Jalen's the complete opposite for a Lafayette guy. He's the one who actually will rally his guys around and say, okay, let's, let's keep going, and he'll encourage players all the way to the end. Uh, you know, he's sort of known as a three-point shooter, but actually the, one of the things he does best, I find, to me is when the shot clock's running down, he can get a shot off. He can elevate, find a way to get a shot off. And that's a very valuable trait to have because it prevents you from having a turnover. It gives you a chance for the offensive rebound. Uh, 
he can make a few three-pointers. He can get hot, make three or four in a row. Sometimes he flat, shots a little flat when he sets his feet well, squares up, follows through well. He can be pretty effective. Actually, in Puerto Rico, the games, uh, I think the second game, he had some big shots doing exactly what I just said. You know, people think shooting is just throw it up. There's actually technique in, in shooting the ball as well in, in coaching. Squaring your feet, keeping your shoulder square, keeping your elbow in, following through. When I coach bitty ball, I call it put the cookie jar. Put your hands in there and get the cookie jar and you release. Get to mark. So hopefully Jalen can uh, can Trail Garnett started most of the year in that role. And uh, he uh at one time didn't have enough makes to qualify, didn't have enough attempts rather to qualify, but he had the leading three point percentage in the country. He just wasn't able to and he's still shooting the ball just as well in practice. He can't create his own shot as well as Jalen can, but he can get really hot in, in um in Puerto Rico, he was as good as there was in shooting the ball. So that, that we're going to be well positioned in that role. Um, you see, I think Jalen will start, but uh, you know, again, just like the point guards, whoever's on that night, you know, can can try to get hot. And some people don't realize too, the three pointer just doesn't happen by accident. You may see us get a rebound, push the ball, and you'll see Jalen run to the corner or Cantrell, and that's by design. They're actually pushing the ball to get an open short corner three, um, and. Yeah. For whatever reason, I think our point guard play didn't allow enough to get enough of those open shots last year. We turned it over too much, so hopefully that'll be different this year. Uh, I agree with you. I think the the point guard play is going to be the key. Yeah, Kendall Garnett's forty seven percent from three point bet is not not nothing to, to sneeze at at all. Is that what he finished at last year? Forty seven percent. Yeah, forty seven point three. And yeah, I bet um, Jalen was probably in the low thirties. Thirty four, <laughs> which is not horrible, but. Uh, yeah, you- We've got to do a better job, definitely, there. I think he'll do better. This What I saw in Puerto Rico, with him playing more instead of coming in and out, sometimes that's tough. You know, you come in, you miss a couple of shots, you go back in. So if, if you know you're going to play a certain amount of minutes and not have to worry about getting pulled if you're missing your first shot, that'll help you. Well, the thing I like about both of them, uh, I should say, uh, if if they learn to create more of their own shot, like you were talking about, uh, they both shoot 79% from the free throw line, and if they can draw that foul, that's that's an easy way to get some points, which oh, I no know. Doubt. No which, doubt, yeah. Which again, like we talked about, it free throw shooting is more mental than it is physical necessarily. Right. The people who say I can go make a hundred in a row don't know what they're talking about, because you're not doing that in a game. You're going full speed, and all of a sudden you got to stop and relax. It's like yep. running a sprint or running a marathon. It's a completely different mindset. Absolutely. So let's talk about the four position. I'm not sure where you want to start, and I'm not sure how the Cajuns exactly play small forward versus, uh, you know, uh, a power forward. But go ahead, and I'm going to let you go just full speed on the forwards there. All right. I think the two guys, small forward, will start there, going to be Greg Williams Jr. and uh, Chancellor White. Greg Williams Jr. started and played well in the tournament, unfortunately. Uh, and it was unfortunate the way that happened is because Kobe Julian got hurt in the last game of the regular season. But Greg may have found his spot there. You know, he played very well. I think he made the all-tournament team. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, and he is the guy I think, plus my nickname, could actually be very effective at with that mid-range shot. You know, he doesn't have to shoot that three. He can fake it, go in and drop it in. I, I, he has the, the skill set to be uh, effective that way. Uh, in Puerto Rico, he didn't shoot the ball that well. Uh, he, he was fine defensively. A couple of times when he's driving the basket, you know, he maybe not finish as well as I'd like or any of the coaches would like. So if he can improve on that, he'll probably be the starter. 
Uh, I'm looking for Chancellor White, pure freshman, to be the other contributor in that role. Uh, in Puerto Rico, the last game, Chancellor White was the best player on the court. Uh, I've heard other coaches say, okay, Chancellor came in as one of the more highly regarded freshmen we've had in a while. Uh, beginning of summer practice, you wonder, is this guy going to get it? But as practice went on, he got better every game or every day. Puerto Rico, he was so-so the first day, effective the second day, and the best player the third day. Uh, he has a chance to be uh, one of the, uh, maybe freshman of the year in the conference. To do that, of course, he's going to have to find some minutes in there with Greg. But he could also, if the other team goes small, he could actually play power forward at times, rebounding. Uh, physically, those of you remember the Marty Fletcher teams in the 90s, remember a guy named Byron Starks, now the head coach of LSUE. He sort of looks like Byron, and he's smooth like Byron, too. He's six foot six, and so he can get a shot off. So, uh, you know, people wonder how I follow Puerto Rico so close. Well, I'm one of the guys I watched every game despite not being able to understand a word the announcers were saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was able to figure it out. I think I, I think that's you know, Michael Thomas. I think that's Chancellor White. But so those are the small forwards. Um, we can move on to power forwards if you like. Yeah, just just back to Chancellor White before. Uh... Uh, you know, he's listed at 6'6", 185. I'd like to, to see him get a little muscle on his body, and I think that's going to – he'll grow into the into that so much more. But but to your point, Greg Williams at the end of the year, uh, I think we win five more games if Greg Williams played like he played in the tournament. You right. Know? Well, if he played the right position instead of yeah. being starting at point guard at the beginning of the year. Uh, one more thing on Chancellor, a uh, highly regarded player. How do we get him? Well, Coach Marlin was the coach – of his father at Sam Houston uh, many, many years ago. Well, I guess back in the early 2000s. And uh, I've seen some things on Twitter that uh, Chancellor's father is actually a pretty successful businessman. He has a book out now. Oh, okay. We'll have to check that out and give the, our listeners a uh, a uh, way to pick that up in the name of the book. So Yeah, yeah. I saw it yesterday on Twitter. But, okay. that, you know, everything in recruiting is about relationships whatever the sport is, you know, talk about great recruiters. There's the relationship. Coach Marlon was his fa uh, father's coach back when he was in college. And I guess he uh, thought enough of him to send him over here to help him. I, I, I like it. I like it. He looks like he's going to be a dynamic player for the Cajuns. So uh, the point about gaining weight is also, I think, a key one that if he needs to probably get up to about 200 pounds and he may be, be probably stronger now than he was when he showed up and that picture was taken back in June, that allow him to play inside more when, when the teams go small. Well, that's more, I was going to say that's one thing that through the RCF and the nutrition program that we provide our student athletes uh, is, is another reason to give to the RCAF to help because, and again, to your point, it's, it's not, weight to be adding weight it's it's bulking up it's gaining muscle so he can take the physicality of a uh ncaa uh basketball player right then you can go and bang on the boards when he needs to so let's talk about the power forwards then where okay, we well, the, the uh plan at the beginning of the year was for joe charles to start there unfortunately in puerto rico second i think it's the second to last game with a few seconds left of the game he actually did a flip over uh jordan browning and I think it was a leg injury. And one time they thought he'd be out for a while, but it turned out the injury wasn't as severe as they thought. And he just recently began to practice. So, well, he, uh, well he's been practicing, but practice with contact. You know, when you, we talk about being cleared to practice. A lot of these guys, when they're going through their shooting drills, one-on-one, -on -one, their conditioning, they can still do that. If their injury is not too severe, it's just the trainers have to clear them for contact. That only happened within the last week. 
So will that allow him to be the starter like he was in Puerto Rico? I don't know. Uh, one guy who didn't go to Puerto Rico is a recent signee, a guy named Terrence Lewin Sr. He's a trans graduate transfer from Jackson State. The reason he didn't go to Puerto Rico was he was just finishing up his studies. He graduated right at the time the team started practice, hadn't been with us in the summer, didn't think it would be appropriate to go on the trip. But uh, he is a glue gut type of guy, you know, makes very few mistakes, high basketball IQ mentally. Uh, and usually you see that for guards, but he's a guy who does it at, uh, inside. Uh, I think his numbers at Jackson State were somewhere like 11 and 8, 11 points, 8 rebounds a game. People may remember Duguay from last year, you know, maybe not quite the same effectiveness on the offensive glass, but similar without maybe the erratic play. Uh, so, so it would not surprise me to see Terrence Lewis senior because of experience start because of Joe's injury. Uh, maybe more effective inside than Joe, but maybe not as uh, strong in the three point shot. So th th those are the two power forwards we'll have. But then you look at him too at six seven. He's two ten. So, but again, a grad transfer. So he's had a little bit more opportunity to put a little weight on him. And two ten is not a big for a college athlete. So no, not not at all. And he actually looks taller than six seven. He rebounds well. Probably the basketball IQ. I think I talked about earlier. And instinct may get him in the right position to grab those rebounds. You, you mentioned Joe Charles, and and I, I I saw that that he got injured at the end of the game uh in puerto rico but he's he's being shown at six seven one ninety five and to me because i'm uh i met joe his senior season at one of the basketball practices it looks like he's put on a few pounds too as well so he need he needs to to be able to play power forward and rebound yeah well, it's at six seven one ninety five is not uh uh necessarily a lot of weight so yeah last year we had to kuba playing in there and he's now at old miss uh and as a graduate transfer, he got his degree, by the way. So uh, it'd be a little different, you know, where Joe could actually get out and be a um, stretch four. Okay. And Theo would make a shot now and then, but, you know, his main uh, attribute was be, it was a shot blocker. That may be one thing we'll miss. But our overall defense as a team in Puerto Rico, I think it was a little stronger than what I saw last year. We may not need that shot blocking as much. Okay. Prevent the ball from getting inside as easily. Well, uh, what's up? What's up? Do we have a last position or are there two more positions? Am I forgetting something? I think, I think we, we're we got the, the center. Forgot the center. The best player yes. on the team is Jordan Brown. Well, I, I, I knew we had the center. I, uh, I just didn't know if there was a player in between there. No, no, no. I we got, think so. Yeah. I think we've gone through eight guys right now. Uh, and Jordan Brown and Isaiah Richards will be the centers. Jordan is the preseason player of the year. Uh, Jordan can score from three uh, different spots. You know, he can score inside. They can, shoot the mid-range at times. And occasionally, you know, in Port, in um, New Orleans, the media day, they talked about he actually shot a higher percentage than you might think of from three-point land. Didn't shoot that many of them. But uh, like a lot of our guys at times, you know, it gets frustrated when shots you think are going to go in, roll in and out. I would like to see our whole team finish at a higher level than in the past. That's a area of improvement. And made a little progress on that in Puerto Rico, not as much as I would like. But uh, Jordan, being the best player on the team, the ball goes to him a lot. And, you know, he's looking to score with some moves. He's got some great moves around the basket. You can drop him in. I would like to see him at time throw a ball out quicker. Our coaches think he's a good passer. I won't disagree with that. But sometimes, this is just Mike Aver's opinion, when the ball goes in, he sees the double coming. If he throw a ball out back to the guards quicker, he could repost and get in a better position. Uh, so that's an improvement need I, I see for him. You always maybe criticize the better players a little more. So 
that's mine. And uh, well, the focus is on them, so you you tend to look at them more in a different way than you would somebody uh, coming off the bench and all that. So it's not necessarily necessarily, which is easy for me to say, necessarily critical. It's an observation, right? And last year, being the best player on the team, getting a lot of shots. Jordan, of course, gets fouled a lot. That's the one and ones. A few games, you know, he's struggling one. So he's actually made a technical change in the way he shoots his free throws. Hopefully that'll be better. He's keeping the ball a little bit of further away from his body because if a lot of his uh, shots, he's holding the ball maybe a little too close to his nose or a little short. So maybe the technical change, uh, like anything else in athletics, it becomes muscle memory where if you do it so often, muscle memory may be allow you to overcome the mental pressure. That's a very tough situation when you shoot down one-on-one in a close game and you're the center. You know, our, the reason is a lot, a lot of times our uh, free throw shooting wasn't the highest percentage we like us. We had guys who play inside shooting more of them than the outside guys. Yeah, so like you say, Jalen and Kentrell, we want them shooting the, you know, the 80% guys up there. Well, you know, the, 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 you, you talked about his three-point shooting, 46% last season, uh, 51%, 51.6 from the field. But if, if there is a struggle there, it's at the free throw line. 61.9%, but Jalen started out better shooting uh, from the free throw line and got a little worse. And I think that had maybe to do a little bit with conditioning, uh, just from what I'm, what I'm thinking, I'd like to see the guys, all of them use a little more legs when they shoot free throws, because right. when you get tired, you tend to start shooting with your arms, right. which, which is to have a tendency to come up short. I call it the spring. Get a little yep. more squat in there, and then you can actually spring towards the basket. Yeah. So, who was the NBA player years ago that that when he shot free throws, he shot them just like he shot uh, a jump shot? And that was probably in the fifties or sixties. I don't know. I know Rick Barry shot an underhand. Yeah. <laughs> and they tried to get Will Chamberlain to shoot underhand. He was effective, but he thought he was too sissy, so he went away from it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back to the big man. Oh, okay, Isaiah Isaiah Richards. Yeah. I guess he's he's yeah. up. Yeah. Isaiah. You know, had to miss the second half of last season. Had some off-the-court issues, academically ineligible. He's doing really well academics-wise now. I think his off-the-court issues are, are to handle. He's a guy who has a lot of enthusiasm. I talked about a guy who wants to encourage people from the bench. You know, he was always pushing his team. Uh, you know, this will be his third year. He actually played better his freshman year than the half a season he played last year. I remember he made a big jump shot mid-range to beat, help us beat Louisiana Tech in that big comeback. So he can score around the basket, rebounding. Uh, doesn't have all the moves Jordan does. So he'll, he might be a key, you know, since, since uh, Theo's no longer here. You know, when uh, Jordan's going to get in foul trouble at times, if the other teams are going to go after him. So how, how effective does he play um, in backing up Jordan? Maybe a, a key to the success of the season. I, I agree with you there. And uh, just as you mentioned that teams going to Jordan, Isaiah had uh, often got in foul trouble as well reaching instead i don't mind the foul so much trying to block a shot sometimes but when the big man is reaching trying to slap the ball away that's uh, to me that's when they tend to get in foul trouble you go back to condition that's not moving your feet yes you can get in your feet position right exactly so, getting lazy so when, when that happens uh what are we going to do uh well let's talk about the last three players you know what ends seeing the first 10. Kyron Radliff is a pure freshman who actually uh, is, a, I think, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he might be able to play there some center. Terrence Lewis, the uh, guy I talked about from Jackson State, if we have to go small at times, could do it as well. Uh, 
Kyron, um, I forget what high school in New Orleans he came to us from. It's unusual to sign a player in July. I think he went to a prep school. And if you go to a prep school after high school, you can actually play five years in high school. And I think that's what he was planning to do. And the last minute he decided, well, I'm going to go to college now. I'm not going to play my final year in prep school. And uh, we had been recruiting him all along, and that's how we got him. Player like him had a great uh, situation going to Puerto Rico. You know, he couldn't participate in eight weeks of summer practice, got to participate in 10 days, go to Puerto Rico, probably help him catch up. But as a pure freshman, I don't say anything matter. His development, he probably is not as far along as the other guys. That's why I didn't have him in the top 10. Booker T. Washington uh, out of New Orleans, uh, 6'8", 205. Looks like, you know, like you said, that that year in, in prep school might have done him well, but then again, the Cajuns might not have been able to sign him after that year in prep school. Yeah, I forget what prep school. It's another New Orleans area prep school that just started, I believe. Sean uh, Dumas Academy. Yeah, he could have gone back there had he wanted to and still being a freshman in college next year. Um, all right. And then the other pure freshman is a guy named Vinny Sagona, some uh, private school near Dallas. Uh, I mentioned earlier about uh, Coach Perrin looks like a gym rat, but Vinny Sagona looks like a gym rat, you know, Italian heritage. Uh, I presume with that last name. I heard a story the other day, which I don't believe. Apparently, he made 94 three pointers in a row. <laughs> and, wow. uh, and when I heard that, I said, Sure, it wasn't 24. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it's not the same thing as playing in a game when you just got there and nobody's around you and you just, you just catch and shoot and get in a rhythm. You can make several in a row. So, but in Puerto Rico, he did make a few three-pointers. Um, again, I don't see him in nothing against him. I just don't see him in the top 10 because he's a pure freshman. He's, he's going to be a fine player, just not, maybe not quite as ready as the others. Uh, at 6'1", 165, another young man that needs to put some weight on. But, you know, I came out of high school six foot, uh, 155, I think. So I've got, I had no room to talk and I think I've beefed up pretty well over the years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And before we leave the players, here's the wild card, of course, is Kobe Julian. Yes. Uh, Kobe uh, played uh, small forward a lot last year. When some of the big guys got in foul trouble, he played uh, power forward. Unfortunately, injured a knee in the last game of the regular season, didn't play in the conference tournament. Uh, at some point, people thought he was going to be out all year. His rehab is going well. He's not clear for contact. He's doing all the other drills. So where does he fit in uh, in the lineup? You know, small forward. Power forward, but we talked the other day, I mentioned something. Okay, well, when he's ready, mid-December, maybe he's playing at McNeese or at Houston at that point. Um, is that going to impact the chemistry of the team? He's too good a player not to find someone to put him on the court. He's another player that we talked about with Jordan. You know, you, you observe things they could do better. I think at times Kobe turned the ball over too much because he tried to force it into the lane. Made some great shots at time from outside. Remember the three-pointer he did to win that game on New Year's Eve. But at times, I think the three the th threes he, tr he took maybe were well-advised. So he's the wild card. Now, is it going to affect team chemistry? Let's say we got eight, nine, ten guys playing when he comes in. Then later, the more I think about it, the less I'm concerned about it. And the reason is, time you play ten games, somebody's going to be hurt. Somebody may have some academic issues. Hope that's not the case, but you know, it happens at times. Something off the court is, may affect some players. Some players may not be as effective as I'm hoping I describe here. So, you know, how do we incubate him? The key for Kobe is he needs to be contributing by, 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 by mid-January. You know, we get into the heart of conference play. And uh, it'll be up to the coaches to figure out how do we get to a nine- man rotation because I've heard plenty of coaches tell me that's what's ideal 
get your five starters and your spot playing three others and you got your nine guy. And when we do that, if we get there, all the bonding I talked about earlier, somebody thinks maybe they should be playing, somebody may not be playing as much in the middle of these conference games, or you're going to continue to be supportive of your teammates in games or just as hard in practice to be ready when your turn is called because there'll be a game with somebody will be hurt, somebody will be in foul trouble, and all 13 guys I just mentioned will be needed. So that, that's the key to me every year is how do you handle adversity when their lineup gets cut, rotation gets shortened, but time of conference play, and Coach Marlin will do that quite often. You'll see less players play when you get to the end of December. Uh, does the team chemistry stay as good? And if so, all the bonding we have, hope we created in Puerto Rico, hopefully that will carry us through to a successful season. Mike, one, one player we didn't talk about, and I don't know if you know anything about him. The only reason I'm bringing him up uh, is he's a freshman, Isaiah Crawford, from Archbishop Shaw in New Orleans. And the only reason I bring him up is because that's the high school I graduated from. Six foot three, one seventy five guard. Do you know anything about him at all? Yeah, I know he's. Uh, they just brought him under the squad as a walk on. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so he's non scholarship player. I'm not sure what his stats at Shaw were. Uh, he actually was in college last year uh, when uh, Ross. Who? Who? Uh, who's the not Ross McDonald? St. Thomas More kid who just uh, Car- Carter Domain. Yep. Uh, was a walk on last year, and they actually thought he might actually play some more this year. But he decided to go to the priesthood. Yep. Uh, probably all, that's probably the only player our coaches ever lost to the priesthood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm well, not he, sure so many, I'm not sure any coaches lost a, a, a college athlete to the priesthood. But anyway, so Isaiah uh, was just a regular student last year. Uh, I forget what he's majoring in, but uh, met him one time. Smart kid, uh, high basketball IQ, you understand. But anyway, when, uh, Carter moved on. Uh, he heard about it. He said, "Hey, can I? I wonder how I can actually um, get a chance." And he called his high school coach. His high school coach contacted our coaches and told him, "Hey, give this guy a look. Let him see if he can actually help you." And they did. That's all I can tell you. He's a walk-on, non-scholarship. Okay. I, I said if it if it wouldn't have said Archbishop Shaw on it, I probably would have never uh, asked you about it. So, but yeah, good that's deal. All, Thank you. That's all. That's all. Fourteen guys. All right. Thank you. Uh, Mike, before we sign off, any last words, uh, comments, words of wisdom, or uh, I'd like to get in another episode uh, before the season start and talk about a little bit about how the schedule plays out for us, yeah. especially when it comes to conference play. Yeah, uh, conference play will start at the end of December. It'll be 18 games as usual. I would have hoped they had gone to 20 with a problem. All the teams in the league seem to have scheduling. Maybe that's something in the future. Uh, but, you know, uh, we'll play, I guess, is it 16? There's 14 teams, so we'll play six teams twice and six teams once. There'll be one team in the league we don't play. Yeah. I would have preferred that to be one team we play twice to get to 20. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are disappointed we could get more non-D1 games at home, three non-D1 opponents. My thought on that is, okay, um, when you play those games, and there is our first one, it's a good opportunity to play uh, some of the guys on the bench, three, maybe too many. I would have preferred only one or two. But sitting there would be the first one, November the 7th. With, and then we go to a tournament in um, Asheville, North Carolina. I know people have been to Asheville. They love the uh, area. Uh, I think we play Harvard the first game, and then we'll play the winner of Elon and East Tennessee the second game. 
it's a standard four-team tournament. If you win, you play the winner, and you're a champ. If you lose, you play the loser, and you're in a consolation game. I don't know. I haven't checked in any of those teams yet. I know East Tennessee State has had a good team in the NCAA tournament in the past. That'll be almost like a home a home tournament for them. Uh, I know it's in there. He was 13 and 13 last year in their league. I don't know what they have coming back. That again, like we talked about earlier, that'll be November 7th. Uh, November 17th will be the first, uh, I guess, key home game. That'll be Louisiana Tech. Okay. In the, in the past, Louisiana Tech occurred the Saturday after finals. Uh, the banquet the other night, they said Louisiana Tech had some kind of conflict. They asked us to change the date, and we agreed. And I don't okay. know the details there. We'll get more in the, in the tournament later. I mean, yep. the, the season. There's one other thing I wanted to bring up, if you don't yep. mind. And, and that is a week from today, October 28th, men's basketball is having a fundraising golf tournament at the Wetlands and Karen Crow. Uh, you can still sign up. Um, I think the unofficial deadline was Monday, but it'll go. You can go up until Friday if you want to. It's basically a, a four-man best ball deal where you can buy mulligans and all that kind of stuff. Hundred fifty dollars a person, or six hundred dollars a team. Uh, you can um, just call Mike Murphy at the basketball office. I don't have his Mike's number right now, and and, and, uh, and he can get you signed up for that. In the past, uh, we've had uh, different places. We went to Abbeville last year. That worked well. It's, uh, but we're coming back to the wetlands this year. Be back in Lafayette. Uh, week from today, I think it's in the afternoon. I think it starts at one. Yeah, I believe you're correct. And Mike Murphy's phone number at the basketball office is 337-262-1494. 337-262-1494. Even if you can't play, there are sponsorship opportunities or if you'd just like to donate to the basketball uh, program. Right. Mike's and, uh, email uh, address is mmurphy at louisiana.edu so yeah here's your contact and also you don't have to be a great golfer to participate in this you know because you're just sticky enough for, for, you know, if you can just swing up you can putt only if you want whatever but generally and it's not it's best ball but you don't have i don't believe they require each golfer to actually have a shot count i don't remember the rules but if you're just a a, a beginner like i am you can go out and participate yep and help the basketball program so that's a week from today and i think that I looked at the other i think that we're gonna have another good weather day a week from today Good deal. Uh, Mike, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Hope you'll come back during the before basketball starts for one more time and then during the season if you have time. I hope you yeah. enjoyed it. Hope I did. And maybe a good day will be after we played a game or two. It's actually, it would be a good some evaluation. Or if I hear something happen in the conference tournaments that I, I mean, in the secret scrimmages that in general I can talk about, I can maybe share that, but, but not allowed to say, give any details. Sounds good. You've been listening to We're Talking today with Craig Malonso and Mike Hebert. We've been talking Raging Cajun basketball. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.